What's up, everybody? This is Toby, and you're listening to the Diverse Podcast, where I sit down with candidates, employers, and entrepreneurs to share their stories and best advice. I'm the founder of Diverse, which is a careers platform supporting underrepresented young professionals and helping them find roles with inclusive employers. Head over to wearediverse.io for the latest opportunities and free resources. Subscribe to us on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts, and find us on YouTube at We Are Diverse as well. Hope you enjoy this episode. Excellent. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Diverse Podcast. I'm here with David Asare. And uh, lots of you have been asking me recently, you know, for one particular company, you know, Toby, can you get us someone from, from this company? So finally, you know, give the people what they want. Uh, Dave is an account strategist at Google. So absolutely delighted that he's here with us today. Uh, David, why don't you start by giving us a bit of a background as to who you are and uh, what you do in your current role? Yeah, sure. Uh, Toby, uh, thank you so much for, of course, having me on this podcast. I know we spoke a couple of weeks ago briefly, but um, it's amazing just to retrace, amazing what you're doing. And for me, when you reached out, it was a no-brainer. Um, every time I get the opportunity to share my knowledge uh, in terms of what I'm doing, my experience, definitely always happy to. So, yes, uh, just to kick off. So, I guess, should I take it back as far back as what, university? Um, yeah, I'm going to give you free reign. Tell us a bit about okay. yourself. Okay, so maybe even the stuff from GCSE. Um, so I studied business management, economics and sociology. Um, I always knew I wanted to work in business because, again, my family is very businessy, uh, to put it that easily. Both my brother and my parents are entrepreneurs, so it's almost natural to go down that path. So, yes, um, I studied at Austin University. Uh, international business and management, including a sandwich year or placement year. Um, initially, I wanted to go Manchester, but I got rejected um, because apparently Manchester didn't think I was good enough. But up. yeah, so you had to sort of jump into clearing. I rejected my insurance, going to clearing, phoned Aston at least four times. Um, wow. Three times I got rejected. Um, on the fourth time, they were like, look, let's just bring this kid in. So um yeah i ended up getting international business management with a year in industry um well, so when you would say they re- did they reject you like on the phone you mean or so, yeah so my first time it was straight rejection i think at that time i still wanted a a b but i got uh three b's so yeah i still wanted a b b but i got three b mm-hmm. so the first time was no uh the second day it was we can't offer you third day was we'll probably have to put you on a wait list then I called the following Monday and they were like, yeah, sure. There's space you can, you know, put your name down and welcome to Aston. So yeah, that was kind of my journey getting to Aston University. Um, like I mentioned previously, studied international business and management, which was really exciting. And as part of my role, um, as part of, sorry, my studies, I had to do a placement year or else you fail your third year. So Aston is quite strict. Um, in the sense of you making sure that you end up finding the placement. So applied to multiple organizations, multiple companies. I must have put through at least 70 different applications because I have 70 different cover letters. So um, that was that was quite tough. Initially, I was just sort of spraying and praying and hoping any of those land. Um, but fortunately enough, I ended up getting four placements around the month of May, June. So they all just started 
flooding in back to back. So that was from General Electric, Lemes, which was a HR company in HR software company in Luton, uh, got an offer from Nike as well and got an offer from AT&T and ended up going with AT&T. So for my role at AT&T, I was a business technology development intern. So typically working with some of the sales organization and external account managers to understand and top pipeline and project manage some of the office expansions that we had going on globally. So typically if say AT&T had an office expansion in Mexico, uh, working with external account managers from say Dell and putting putting through these orders to making sure that they got to those office um, space on time to help us, you know, meet those organizational project deadlines. Um, so yeah, everything from infrastructure management, I was pretty much doing that. And I was working in the London office, which had a huge sort of sales and cloud team. So I guess that's that was like my first introduction to sales. Um, I still quite remember one guy, Roshan, kind of told me, if you want to make money, make sure you work in sales. And I guess I probably took his advice. But yes, that was pretty much my introduction to sales. And I guess maybe the world of tech, because around 2016, 2017, there was a lot of conversations going on around big tech, uh, con connected um, cities, um, big data. So yeah, um, pretty much my first intro to tech, I guess. Love it. Lots of lessons in there already, you know, going back to rejection at Ashton and, you know, persistence overcomes resistance. Clearly, you know, you just keep knocking on that door. Um, I, I like that a lot. And obviously, you know, get into sales. And so, yeah, you've got a, a great track record. You know, why don't you take us through the stories of, of kind of how you, you, you know, why you decided to go with AT&T and then how from there you went on to your your next company, which I'll let you I'll let you reveal and then Google after that. So. Why don't you uh, tell us your application stories and I'll probably jump in with a few questions here and there uh, for the audience. Yeah, so again, like I mentioned, I was very fortunate to get multiple offers. I know, you know, not everyone happened to be in that position, especially when it comes to placements. It's really difficult um, when applying. So the main two for me was Nike and AT&T, partly because Again, they were the largest organizations that I received. So I was kind of going with a brand name. Um, Nike, funnily enough, um, in 2015, I worked at Nike Retail. So I kind of knew products inside out because I'm a huge sports and basketball fan. Uh, so I used that to my advantage. So I actually applied for three Nike roles. One was in the Sunderland office. That was my first ever assessment center. And I tanked it. It was so bad. My interview was pretty good, but the actual assessment center, I was very quiet, very reserved, but then I quickly learned, you know, when it comes to assessment centers, no, that's not what to do. So then I had my next one, which was based in London, which was a lot more competitive. You had some really amazing people coming through because again, it's London and went through that one as well, did quite well, but didn't end up getting there. So the final one uh, was the one in Hilversum, which is the European headquarters. So funnily enough, that, that was the biggest office. Um, it meant I would have, you know, worked with some senior people. And I guess I took learnings from both of the, you know, first two interviews and uh, made sure I prepared as well as possible for this one. And um, I ended up getting it. I think I remember it, in that interview, the hiring manager was like, you're pretty young, um, 
based on the kind of people that we hire because it's very European dominant. And normally, you know, people from France, Germany have masters and you have like, you know, valuable work experience, but I didn't. I, I guess, again, it was down to me being personable and having researched so much and being able to relate to that Nike coach, which enabled me to get it. So yeah, they gave me the offer. And, and can I just man- ask as well, David, what was the inflection point between, you know, that first assessment center you went to where you tanked it? And is this funny thing, right, in with jobs and stuff, it's like the one you really want, you probably shouldn't apply to first because like you need a bit of practice under your belt, which is kind of a bit counterintuitive. Uh, like I know you mentioned you're a bit quieter, but what, what do you learn and take forward into the next assessment center, do you think? Yeah, so I guess with, with the assessment center, um, the one in Sunderland, again, it was our first ever one. So I quite, I prepared pretty well for the interview and the, the interview was like, you know, your interview was on the best bar assessment centers. You didn't really perform to the best of our ability. I guess one, it's about being outspoken. Um, you know, again, not necessarily being the loudest, but still making your voice and your message and your points heard. So again, we could probably even talk about how assessment centers work because I've, I've literally sort of mastered where you get the point wow. from. I had, I had a session with like an IBM interviewer and then he pretty much told me, um, again, so if you want us to sort of do that now, we can. Yeah, we'll, we can jump into that after, but yeah, carry on with your, your story, yes. yeah. So so again, I guess for me, it was, it was more so, you know, trying to be a bit more involved um, when it came to the assessment center and also just put my personality out there. Because when you think about Nike and the culture, you know, culture is a big thing so just being yourself and making your personality really come through um was one of the main things and again when it comes to assessment centers also trying to involve your wider team and again like i said it's not being about the leader but um you know so for me those, those were the things that i saw picked up obviously when it came to the third interview um it wasn't an assessment center it was one-on-one um so it was more so about making sure that i showed the interviewer that I'd prepared more than everyone else. And that meant knowing the athletes that Nike had signed top of my mind and using those information and incorporating it within my answers. So at the end of the day, what it shows and what I've realized with interviewers is about proactivity. How proactive are you? Um, Have you gone to that extent of doing that research that someone else wouldn't do? And being able to share this information is something that they really value because when it comes to the workplace, it actually shows this is someone I can hire and I know they're going to be proactive and go above and beyond. So yeah, those those were kind of like the things that I picked up and sort of you know incorporated into my third interview, which made me successful. Um, of course, like I said, there was also the AT&T one. So with AT&T, again, funny story, my hiring manager was German. I happened to study German in my first year at university, which um, I ended up dropping because I was too busy, but don't ask me to speak German. Um, I was about to so, on the spot. <laughs> no, wow. no, don't, don't. <laughs> so yes, uh, I remember on on the, before the interview, I told the recruitment coordinator that I was waiting for my, I had I'm already received an offer from GE and they were putting me under pressure to, you know, accept it. So if I had to proceed with this interview, they had to, you know, let me know if I was getting the job or not. So yeah, jumped on the phone with the hiring manager. It was a pretty good conversation. Um, she realized that I studied German. She asked me something in German I was able to answer. And then she gave me the role on the phone there and then. Um, she was like, 
I know you're the person I want to hire. The rest of the people, I'm probably just going to have to interview just because I have to, um, which is pretty good. So it kind of goes to show you, it's just like the little things that really go a long way. Um, not so much, you know, of course, preparation and all, all of that stuff really matter, but it's just like the little things, the extent you go when it comes to researching, or do you have a language that you connect to with a hiring manager? Yeah, those little things really go a long way. So yes, um, always wanted to work at Nike. Um, with Nike, again, there was an issue around uh, work permits and stuff. So unfortunately the role had to be rescinded and I ended up, I guess, settling for AT&T, but I think it was a really good decision in hindsight when I reflect, because I know if I worked at Nike, I probably would have never worked in the tech industry. So yeah, um, I'm, quite, I'm quite grateful from, for, for how it turned out. Uh, so yes. Yeah, I think, I think it turned out pretty well. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's unfortunate. I could imagine at the time, you know, that must have been really tough, right? Like, I'm a big Hoops fan as well. You know, to have a chance to work for a company that's deeply embedded into the culture and, you know, to have all the athletes on board, that would have been that would have been cool in a lot of ways. But in fact, this move into tech, better long term for your career, if we're going to be really honest. And the places you've got onto kind of show that through. So. So how did you go from there? So from uh, from AT&T, where did you get on to and, and how did that work out? Yes, yeah, so again, AT&T, amazing, um, had a brilliant manager, learned so much. And I think within my role, I kind of cultivated the habits of working with younger people and sort of really started actively enjoying volunteering, especially when it came to employment mobility for disenfranchised communities. Um, it, it really allowed me to extend myself. And I always kind of look back and said, if I went, if I worked at Nike, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do all, to do all of this. So yeah, that was great. Obviously um, after my role ended, I had to come back to university. I kind of didn't want to, because again, I had a, you know, <laughs> a quick reflection and realized most of the things I was studying at university were not directly applicable to my actual role but again look if you grew up in an ethnic minority background you kind of do these degrees for your parents so <laughs> I had to I had to get the degree for my parents of course yeah um and coming back into university because of what i'd experienced applying for placement i knew i had to start early and it meant you know starting with like my cv and trying to gain relevant experience within uh, my placement year so for a lot of people the mistake they make is for placement year they just sort of focus on the core role and the company that they work with no you have 12 months you try and you know do so much within that time that you're out of university and gain relevant experience outside of your core role and just your job because th those things really go a long way and i think for me that 12 months that 12 to 15 month was really important in terms of becoming pivotal in my mindset shift and also the trajectory of my career. So yeah, came back to final year. Uh, first thing I did was book a session with my careers team. Uh, we went through my CV because I just wanted to make sure everything was on point. Um, I booked a mock interview with my, um, with my career advisor as well. In our university, sometimes you had people from other organizations sort of coming in. So there was one woman from Reed um, and uh, there was another lady, I think she was a director in IBM. Uh, so just booking like mock interviews with them to see what that would look like and preparing myself ahead 
of you know those um, graduate interviews because I, I knew from from what I had if I'm being honest I was shook um, because I had so many people you know um, study come out of university don't have jobs so for me I, I, it was about how best do I position myself to put myself forward uh, so that I don't have to go through um, what other people experience so yeah that was pretty much my mindset coming into university brilliant yeah yeah I can you obviously came in and didn't think oh just because I got a placement I'm going to be good but I imagine it took you far fewer applications to get your next thing once you had your placement under your belt I was the same like I did a lot of placement applications but then when it came to my graduate scheme you know now my CV's looking looking all, all right mm. so you know it's much easier from them but yeah that's another lesson go book in some time with your career advisor like so many people I feel like they maybe see them once in like three four years um they're like a resource for you are paying nine grand a year do you know what I mean you're paying them salaries so go and earn your some of your money back you know for these uh, exactly for the I can't, em- these I, can't em- I can't emphasize that enough um and again that's probably a conversation that we probably have another yeah, another day yeah. but yes look the 9k is not just for lecture slides you try and rent university as much as you can um you look at it like a business if I gave you 9k to invest in your business what would you do would you be very like a data in your approach or would you be very proactive? And I think it's important that we start looking at university from that lens. Um, a lot of people don't really look at it that way because it's almost like the 9K is not coming out of your pocket. But mm. if you were working part-time and paying for your own studies, it would be very different because now for every business person, when you, ret- when you invest, you want to return an investment. I think it's important we look at university that way. But yes, very true. So, so you did your placement at, at um, AT&T, made sure you kind of got outside of your role, your core role to learn more things, to make yourself more competitive, hit the ground running with the careers advisor, practice your CV, uh, practice your mock interview, and then where, how'd you get on from there? What was the next step? Yes. So again, I kind of had an idea of companies that I wanted to work for. So I had an Excel sheet, the list of those companies, the deadlines, uh, for those applications, I was very intentional and in making sure that you know I was applying before those deadlines. One quick tip: always make sure you apply early because I mean, when you look at it, um, the earlier you apply, the lesser the pool of talent, which means it's less competitive. Of course, some organizations will wait till they get a bunch of application before they start saving it. But for other organizations, it's first come, first serve. So you can imagine, you know, the first 100 applications, because a lot of people don't want to apply within the first week, your CV, you know, becomes the benchmark. So definitely always making sure you apply early. So for me, that was something that I did. Um, applied to the likes of Goldman Sachs, ended up getting an interview, final stage. Um, I applied to Facebook, um, which is a huge jump, because I definitely did not consider Facebook coming into um, you know, final year, I applied for Nissan as well for the sales and marketing role. So those are the three interviews that I went ahead with. I had an interview with within tech team for Deutsche Bank, but who was that kidding? Um, yeah, finance is definitely not my thing. So uh, yeah, so I applied for all of those. Goldman Sachs, really interesting. Obviously got to the final stage. Again, funny part is Goldman Sachs, two of the people who interviewed within the final stage, I knew them and had met them personally in the office through an insights day that I went to. One of the guys who interviewed me, I actually messaged him on LinkedIn 
the day before the interview and he had he didn't tell me that he was actually going to interview me so that really goes a long way you know those those insight days making sure that you get the most out of it because honestly I got to Goldman Sachs final stage not because I was this bright student it was because I kind of had networked my way and understood the projects that were ongoing within that division inside out um, beyond anyone could ever understand because if you hadn't had that conversation with the team there's no way you knew Goldman Sachs was having a project going on you know for a 10 million dollar office in London all of these are inside projects that you can only find out by actually having conversations so yeah just going to those insights days and having a conversation with you know the people who work there understanding the scope of their role and regurgitating these things into your application it goes a long way but again like I said it's about proactivity do you want the role can you show us that you want the role and for me I went that extra extent so yeah Goldman Sachs final state interview pretty good but ended up there and getting it I was gutted um I'm, I must have stayed in bed for like three hours then I picked myself back up and um, so the next one for me was Facebook Facebook funny story they were really not on my radar I kind of always wanted to work at Google so I remember that year I applied for Google top black talent um I applied for Google bold immersion I applied for Google summer internship and I ended up getting rejected for one of them the other two I never even heard back um, so yeah, there, there was a moment when I saw that rejection, I was like, you know what, I'm kind of tired with Google because I had applied at least five times to Google and never heard anything back. I was like, you know what, I don't even need you guys. I'm going to work for your competitor. Um, so I literally went to the Facebook page, searched the website and there was a graduate role, a uh, graduate account manager role. And the more I read about the description, I kind of saw myself doing that role. Um, so I just went through the description. I was like, this is very me. So I blindly applied. I didn't even think I was going to get it. So I, I didn't even use a cover letter, just attach my CV, submit it. And the next day, uh, recruit actually got back to me. I was like, oh, wow, is this what we're doing? Um, so yeah, went through the interview stages. I was supposed to have my final stage interview in Dublin the day after the Goldman Sachs one, but I couldn't realistically so I told the recruiter and I think that was moved to January which means uh, which meant I had more time to prepare um so yes it was moved to I think 18th of January and the next day I had exam as well so I couldn't be in the office so I had to sort of settle for a virtual interview and I was kind of nervous because you know sometimes me and people in person it's easy to form those relationships and you can kind of get a feel of what the person is like. So I thought I'd be at a disadvantage, but obviously, hey, there was nothing I could do. So I prepared to the best of my ability. That was a four person interview back to back um, over like wow, three hours. Intense. Yeah, pretty intense. So back to back over three hours, um, which went really pretty well. So the next, the day I finished the interview, one of the managers messaged me on LinkedIn saying, uh, David, I hope to see you soon. And I kind of knew that I'd got the job. So I was just waiting till the recruiter got back to me. And two days later, they got back saying, yeah, they gave me an offer, which was, which was excellent. Because like I said, I really did not think I was going to get a job or ever work in Facebook. So 
that was pretty much how the Facebook story went. Yes. That's big, man. Wow. I'm I'm happy for you. That was like a year ago, but that <laughs> was like a couple of years ago. But very happy for you. That's that's incredible. And can only imagine what that was like. But for anyone who is listening, because I have this theory that lots of people don't actually consider going for these tech firms when you're at university or when you're in your early part of your career. Um, we're more sort of thinking about those city firms, right? So I kind of want to demystify this whole thing and think, you know what, I can work at Facebook, I can work at Google. Um, but let, let's give some tips to someone right now so that, to make that a little bit easier. What do you think they look for at Facebook then, just as we're on that? Like, was there anything that sort of stands out that thought that if you're advising a young person now who wants to work at Facebook, what would you want them to like emphasize or show off in their CV or in their interview that you think would help them get the job? I think we can work it backwards. So it starts with the row. Um, I know I kind of haven't touched on what my role is. So I'm kind of doing the same thing with Google right now. Uh, Facebook, the row is simple. You work with advertisers who use Facebook to advertise. That's the simplest way to put it. You pretty much have meetings with them. You come up with strategy and consult and advise them on Facebook best practices to help them grow their business. So when you look at the role itself, relationship management plays a huge part, which means being personable, your ability to connect with people, your ability to communicate with people. So that's the first thing that they're looking at. I remember in my interview, the second interview, the manager that I spoke with, we literally discussed basketball for 25 minutes. It's insane. But that's the nature of the role. How can you find common grounds with someone and have a conversation with them? Because that's pretty much what relationship management is. And it really leaves a lasting impression because if I walk away from having such a conversation with you, you're always going to remember it than just going through the process and just asking someone a bunch of questions. So yes, that's what it starts with. Most of the people that you meet at Facebook, they can literally have a discussion with anyone anywhere and again like i said for my role that was essential so that's definitely something that they look at being personable also the way they hire they look for people who can add to the culture so it's not just about tick box exercise of can you do the job yes you can but as a part of the facebook culture how can you add to it or as part of google, google culture how can you add to it? And it starts with the projects that you're doing. Like Toby, for instance, you're very passionate about diversity and you're working on, you know, diverse.io, which means if we bring you into Google and Facebook, that's something that we know you can project manage and take charge of. So again, it's, do you do more than your role requires you? And would you add to the culture if you're hired? Because we understand that when we are hiring you, in two or three years, this role might not be sufficient, but we still want to retain you. And is there any other thing that you can do outside of this role based on the skill sets you have that can make us look good? So those are the things that they look at. Again, when it comes to my role, you work with Facebook advertising, Google advertising. Have you done that in your pastime? Have you worked with a colleague or, you know, a maid and have you sort of run your own business and use these tools those those are the little things that really sort of go a long way 
and they really appreciate. So you can be unique in your own way. My, for me, it was volunteering. I was very passionate about volunteering, like I said. And it's about having these on your CV, which shows you to be multidimensional. Um, you know, if it's, if it's about volunteering, when you have a conversation with a recruiter, that's something that they can, they can easily prop up or bring up and you can talk to them about. It makes you a lot more complete than someone who just does their role and that's it. So to give you sort of the lens of what Google Recruiter might look at, those things really go a long way, um, just, to put, just to put that in the simplest form. Yeah, so, so both those firms are similar in the sense, right, Facebook and Google. So they're looking for, this is interesting because I've not really heard this about other firms and it, you know, I've not really heard this insight before. So it's just so good. Um, so adding value to the culture. So it's kind of like you should go in and think, oh, I'm, I don't know, the captain of my netball team. I'd love to start the netball society in, uh, in Google. Or, you know, as you said, for this role, we're working with advertisers. So it's almost like you could have a bit of a life hack where you start your own platform, a small business or something with whatever it is you're passionate about. And you can run some ads on Instagram or Facebook pretty cheaply. And you can bring that to the table and mention that on your CV. So I guess the important point here as well to remember is to like have a lot of pride in what you do outside of work and education, right? Because I've spoken to people who've done incredible things, but they're not, they don't think that it's relevant, but it absolutely mm. is relevant. Do you know what I mean? Like people... It's easy to talk about your internships, your placements, your degree or whatever, but all these side things, volunteering, um, you know, coding or small business, side hustles, courses, all these things are super, super relevant, like sport, you know, they're thinking, oh, how can we get in exciting people who are going to make this a more fun place for us to work, right? Yeah. So really embody that. So that's the same for both Facebook and Google. Is there anything else in terms of Google, any other advice you've got there on what kind of things they look for? Um, again, like I mentioned, it's it's role dependent. Uh, like he said, other organizations do not really care about what you've done outside of work because you're hired to do your job. But the likes of Google and Facebook, it's more than that. So let's even look at it from the lens of someone who codes or a software developer, or say you even do UX. If you want a job at Google, can you walk me through projects that you've done in your spare time to actually show you have an interest in that field? Um, what exciting projects have you done, you know, during your spare time? What what activities are you involved in? Like you said, sports is a, is, is a huge thing. My hiring manager initially, who I had my interview with at Google, played for Nottingham Forest. He was, he was a professional footballer, and he's now the regional director for Ireland. So... Being able to connect with people, like I said, you need to be very multifaceted. It's not just, I do my job and that's it. What more can you bring, um, which is outside of the scope of what you're hired to do? So that's pretty much what I have personally realized. And again, yeah, being able, being confident and being able to build genuine connections really goes a long way. And also just, sort of tying back to what their values are. If these companies are very innovative, kind of showing that in your own special way you've been innovative, yeah, really does help. So yeah, it's, it's not as complicated as people make it out to be. Um, like I said, start with the role, showing evidence or projects 
that directly align with the role that you're applying for and just being very holistically looking at yourself as a candidate someone who you know they feel that can contribute to the culture um yeah the, those, those those two things definitely stand out and it goes a long way brilliant yeah it's, it's you shouldn't overthink it at all should you like it's not you know they're obviously some of the, the the best firms you could work for in the in the entire world but you know it's not it's still quite simple you know everything you're talking about and anyone listening right now can go in and embody what we're what we're talking about so uh, i'm sure a lot of people are really interested once you're actually in the firm you know what kind of uh, things are you getting up to what what is it like working at google you know simply put yeah, it, it's amazing. Obviously, I started my role at Google during the pandemic, so I actually haven't been in the office. But it's it's amazing. Um, these companies definitely are people first. Um, in the sense, even when you look at like the office space, they give you everything that you need to enable you succeed um, because they kind of almost don't want it to seem like a workplace. And the more they can take your mind off work and make you enjoy your actual role, the more you will perform. The people you work are brilliant. There's a huge team element. So I know a lot of companies say teamwork, teamwork, and you get there and you're like, I'm just working by myself. Where's the teamwork value? But in these organizations, teamwork is a huge thing. And as silly as it sounds, being a nice person, during my time at Facebook and Google, I don't think I've met anyone who was not nice. It's it's almost ridiculous because at Facebook, I, I thought people were faking it. It was almost like people really? were too nice. And I was like, surely they can't hire, like sh- surely someone, someone is gonna slip up at some point. But people are genuinely that nice, you know, if you want time to speak to someone who's a senior manager, like they would make time for you and have coffee catch-ups with you and be genuinely interested in what you're doing, um, regardless of how senior they are. So yeah, that, that teamwork element and also, um, you know, being able to network your way across an organization, it's it's really nice. And, and managers, I can't again emphasize this enough, especially Google, managers are amazing all the managers I've come across anyway are super helpful, super supportive. There's a huge emphasis on work-life balance, um, even mental health, being a, being that vulnerable and having these conversations with your manager. Like, again, the, the culture, I can I, at least even speak for my team, like the culture is amazing. So yeah, it's it's really everything, I guess, everyone says it is. And for me, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely grateful to work for such an organization. Yeah, that that sounds incredible. So it sounds like I've been to their office and you haven't, right? <laughs> I've been to their King of Cross office and it's oh my god, it's it's incredible. And you've got like permanently, I feel like there's buffets on. It's like all you can mm. eat. You've got like the snack bar. You got all, all kind of snacks. Yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah I mean, I'm sure you're gonna enjoy it. In a, in a Dublin office alone, there's like seven restaurants. They go like a gym. They go like an Olympic pool downstairs. Um, they go ATMs. They go dentist on sites they got masseuse it's it's crazy it's it's literally everything you see on youtube and tv it really is so yeah it's incredible mad and it sounds like you know tracking back to what you said earlier they're looking for people who add to the culture are people people and so on 
And that's for all the reasons we're talking about, which is now you find a people, a, a group of people who probably are like really interesting, really helpful, really nice, because you've kind of already uh, recruited for that previously. You know what I mean? Like the type of people that's going to go out their way to do lots of volunteering is probably going to be a great team player as well. Like it sounds, yeah. it sounds perfect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anything else you got to share on those two companies would be incredible. But. I'd love to give you a bit of free reign. I know you've got some assessment center tips, you know, interview tips. I got a feeling you're you're a great interview. So, you know, I'll give you free reign. Any any advice, you know, we've got lots of uh, young professionals listening that might be going into their first interviews, their first assessment centers. What would be your best advice? I'll let you pick either one of those or both, totally up to you. Yeah, so I'd say with assessment centers, in fact, just even before we start on assessment centers, one thing that I want to reiterate again is really being self-aware and assessing yourself and understanding where you are and so what your weaknesses are. For me, I did not go to university as a confident person. Like who I am right now, I kind of had to work on it. It wasn't just natural. So I used to go for insight days. I literally you just used to apply to any insight day and my friends thought I was crazy but I knew even if it was an industry that I wasn't interested in I get to meet people who are like-minded and I get to speak with business leaders that alone will enable me work on my ability to network so right now if you put me in a room with random strangers I still know how to find a connection and that's because I've done it over and over and that really goes a long way when it comes to assessment centers as well. If you're someone who's timid, they can tell, um, you have to be confident. And again, it starts with being confident. When it comes to assessment centers, typically, the way recruiters look at it is your scored points based on the people who are observing you. So one thing I know that you get points on is the person taking time. This is something you have to be vocal about. Hey guys, do you want me to take the time? The person who is writing on the board, you get points for that as well. So being vocal, okay, do, should I, you know, do you want me to start taking notes? Um, then again, just being proactive and volunteering. The person who you know takes owns or like leadership of the entire group, um, that's not you being a tyrant and dictating what everyone else to do, but just taking and assuming a leadership position that helps if you're the person you also get points for the person who you know is seen as a team member in the sense if there's someone who isn't speaking enough being able to bring them into the conversation and saying hey guys I know we've all spoken uh, say Toby what, what do you think for instance or if you know someone makes a point and everyone seems to be shooting it down um, being able to you know analyze that person's points and present it in a way where people can sort of understand and not being the devil's advocate per se in terms of shooting everyone's points down but providing constructive criticism i remember at nike one of the feedback that we got was that we were all too nice so everyone some everything someone said we all just nodded our head and agreed and they're mm. like that's not the type of people that we want because in a workplace Technically, you're going to be having meetings and we don't want all of you to agree with everyone's point. So being that person who can, you know, listen to people's point of view, 
and still assess it and come up with like a different point of view, that's also really appreciated. So when it comes to assessment centers, these are the things that you need to do to really stand out. When it comes to interviews as well, um, one thing I say is, you know, the person who might be well suited for the job doesn't always get the job. The person who excels at the interview gets the job. Um, it's almost like an exam. Just because you're intelligent and clever does not necessarily mean you might pass, but a person who prepares the most ends up getting, you know, performing really well. And it's the same thing with, with interviews. Uh, I can sort of walk you through how I prepare for an interview. So the first thing I do is research. That's important. And I think people don't research enough. So researching about the role, making sure that you understand what's expected of you, um, you know, looking at the job description inside out and just noting down what those main skills that you that require you, um, you know, in terms of day-to-day -day job, you know, in terms of your, your day-to-day, -day, you know, job, what, what are the skills that you actually need? And, also, and I love that you mentioned day to day as well. That's so important because people see the job description, but then when I ask them, what does that actually mean? Yeah, like, yeah. okay, what what we what will you do when you sit down at nine a.m.? Like, you got to know that level of detail. What does that actually mean on a day to day basis? So in your in your first interview for any recruiter, that might be something I do do to catch you out. If you don't understand or you haven't taken time to understand the role, there's no point in interviewing you because it means you you don't understand what is expected of you. So why am I interviewing you? So just making sure you really understand the role inside out and also understanding the space in which that company operates in. So if it's about a tech industry, um, say HR software, what are the company's competitors? From 2017 to 2021, do you know how much they grew by in terms of profitability and revenue? People don't go that extra extent but for me, when preparing, I make sure I do. So even when I'm asked, why do you want to work for us? At the back of my mind, I knew from 2017 to 2021, they grew 30%, 35%, 36%. It shows that they have a growth mindset. And for me, that's something that I can you know, relate to. Doing that puts you above a lot of people. And again, it shows that you're proactive and you want the job more. And the hiring manager can see it. So research is so important. I can't emphasize this enough. Make sure you research. I know when it comes to investment banking, they might even ask you, what is the stock price for the previous day? Yeah, Th these are things that you need to know. So again, it always starts with researching. Um, if also, when it comes to researching, one thing I, I always used to do was watch these ION keynotes for the company for the previous year to understand you know, if there were new product updates that were coming up, that's something that I can sort of speak about in these interviews. Um, yeah, it really goes a long way. It's not easy. It takes time, but it really helps. Then, again, also being very personable. That's, that's another thing that people don't understand. There's a lot of likability politics that comes into play with hiring. At the end of the day, the person interviewing you is not a machine, they're a person. And ultimately, if I was going to hire someone that I'd be working with for over a year, I want to hire someone that I like. So far as you're coachable, you can learn the role and I can teach you. But when we look at the wider team and myself as a hiring manager, would I enjoy working with you? And that's where your personality and your 
ability to relate to someone really goes a long way. So before I interview, I'd search their LinkedIn uh, to see if there's anything that they might be interested in. Have they written any articles? Do they blog? Do you have any interest? Because then I can sort of carve out my conversation um, around what their interests are and kind of help relate to them in a sense. So again, yes, that, that definitely also goes a long way. And for me, especially when it comes to tech, because the culture is so relaxed, I, that's, that's one thing that I always make sure I do, making my personality really stand out. So normally interviews, I'm, I'm just myself. I try to crack jokes with these interviewers. It's very relaxed and they like those stuff. So don't be too, you know, static or robotic. Like just make sure your personality really comes through in these interviews because um, hiring managers, you know, really like it. And also preparing questions for them. Like at the end of the day, if I want to hire you, I want someone who will challenge me, you know, ask them um, if, if they saw a decline in revenue, why was it? What are they doing to correct it? Ask them challenging questions that gets them thinking because they also, you know, really appreciate, you know, someone coming in and bringing sort of a different perspective or a different point of view. Um, yeah, that really helps. So with, with interviews, definitely those would be, um, I guess, my top tips. And again, yeah, just, just relax. Um, the final thing is also preparation. One thing that I do as soon as I get to sort of like the final stage, because understand, once you're in the final stage, they know you can do the job. If, if, a, if a recruiter told you, oh, we, we went with someone else who we believe they could have done the job better, sorry recruiters but that's not the truth they're only saying that so that they don't get into trouble because then you know words can be twisted and manipulated but once you get to the final stage you can do the job so one thing i do is i jump on link i jump on glassdoor i search for the company the interview questions for that specific role the top 50 ones that repeat and um, that are the most repetitive i make a list of those I go through the job description as well, and I note down the top five skills that are needed, or even go through the company values, for instance, and note down the top five questions or top 10 questions or skills that are needed to execute a role. And I make up situational questions based on those skills. So let's say teamwork is important. Typically, when they, ask you, when they say teamwork, there are three things that they're going to ask you. Tell me about a time where you worked in a team. Tell me about a time where you worked in a you know, you had a conflict with a team member. Tell me about a time where two teammates had an issue and you helped resolve. Write those questions down, start approach, and make sure you have answers for each of those questions and revise those like it's your final year exam. It's really going to help you when it comes to that interview. What happens is you'd end up having about 20, 25 questions. Not all these questions are gonna be asked by the way, but examples that you've given, you can easily tweak it to fit a different narrative or a different skill set that might be required in that interview. So that that definitely really helps. And again, like I said, making sure that you go over them, you know, several times. And if there are questions that you know are going to be asked, don't go in freestyle. Like, why do you want to work for this company? That's something that you should know at the back of your mind. Don't recite it, don't make it robotic, but it's something that you need to prepare before going into an interview. Tell me why you applied for this role. That's again, something that you should be able to easily spit out when I ask you. So 
yes, those would definitely be like my top tips uh, when it comes to interviewing. And just be, be, be confident and believe in yourself. Um, the way I look at interviews, again, rejections are tough, but I always ask myself this after every interview. If I was to do something different, or if I had a chance to interview again, what would I do different? If the answer is no, then I'm at peace and I'm okay because I know regardless of how many attempts I had at the interview, there was not much that was going to change, which means I gave him my all. And that's what I want a lot of people to sort of have when going in the interview. So far as you prepare to the best of your ability and you left nothing on the table, then it's okay because like I mentioned, there's so many facets when it comes to choosing someone who would be eligible for the role or the right candidate. Um, so yes, just make sure you prepare, um, make sure you come across as confident, even if you're nervous and again, you should be fine. Incredible, incredible advice, man. I love it. I love it. I feel like your, your superpower in this context is that ability to make a connection with kind of anyone, which you said is, is uh, benefiting you in the role now, you know, like, you make that connection with the hiring manager, with the interviewer, with other people at the assessment centre, with the invigilators, you know, it's about finding a bit of common ground. It's not too different from, you know, like making a friend or, you know, dating or something like that. Like you need to find that that little bit in the Venn diagram that crosses yeah. over between the two of you so that you can show your personality. And this is the same for like sales or, you know, business, you know, it doesn't stop once you get the job. You know, it's those things that you have in common because then that allows you to get outside of the box of these 10 questions on a sheet of paper and mm. actually get to know each other as humans because they leave the interview and they think, how did that feel? Can I see David being in my team? You know, would I like them? Or would I like him around my organization? That's what they're looking for. So, so that's really important. And so what I also want to reiterate here is like, you've got, there's rejection in this story very much. Like you've, 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 you got rejected with, with Ashton in, uh, in, the, in the beginning, obviously you kept knocking the door and you got there, you know, Goldman Sachs, you know, you got Nike that was that you lost that for a different reason. But, you know, there's elements of rejection throughout the story. You have 50 applications with your, your placement. And yet you, you got jobs at Facebook and, and AT&T and Google. So anyone out there who's listening now, who's gone through a lot of rejections in the past with the applications, you're listening or, or hopefully watching someone who's been through that exact same thing and has got roles that, that are most highly sought after companies in the world. So you absolutely can do that as well. So like he said, you know, believe in yourself, be confident and don't take it personally. Like you, like you said, there's so many facets that come into the assessing of you for the job role. You have to disassociate that to your sense of self-worth and, and your personality and so on. And just look at how you performed, how you can get, how you can do better and just get to the next one. Because, you know, anyone out there listening, if you do exactly what you've said, and this has been an incredible podcast. So if you just listen to this, put these things into practice and you can get jobs at all these great companies. So I love that. Have you got any any other advice for yeah anyone else dealing with, with rejection? You know, were you able to completely move on to the next one straight away? Or what was that process like? Any any advice for, for people dealing with rejection? So I'd be lying, I'd be very naive if I said rejection didn't hurt and as soon as rejection came about, I just brushed my shoulders and I stood up and said on to the next one. Of course, that it hurt. 
Um, if we're being honest, it really hurts. And yeah, allow yourself to, you know, go through the motion, but don't stop. I like to think of careers as, you know, something that's not linear. Again, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Typically, if you speak to people who work at Google, they probably got rejected at least three or four times. Like my friend who works as a program manager right now, he applied to Google. He must have gone to the finals day at least twice or three times or rejected. The next year he applied again and he's currently at Google. And Google as an organization, they take notice of that. When you interview the next year, they look at and say, okay, this person got to the final stage. This is the feedback we gave them. Have they worked on it? So rejection isn't as bad as you think it is because getting to a final interview at Google alone is really tough. So once you get there, again, taking on board that feedback, like I said, some hiring, some recruiters might not necessarily give you feedback. If possible, you can reach out to the hiring manager and really you know, ask them to give you some actionable feedback and sense what can I do differently? Or after every single interview, ask the recruiter, if there's anything I could have done differently, what would you want that to be? Or even ask the hiring manager and just making sure that you actually those. The way for me it worked, even during my placement year, um, I remember I had like a summer internship um, at Amazon Web Services, final stage, and I got rejected and I was so upset because I thought I deserved that role. But the way I, I looked at it, every time I get rejected, I just go back straight to the drawing board and say, okay, cool. Amazon didn't think I was good enough. Can I get more experience to the point where if I put my CV in front of a hiring manager, they cannot overlook it. They have to give me an interview. So that's the way I, I looked at it to build my skill sets. Um, yeah, rejections hurt. But again, what can we learn from it? And it means there are other areas, you know, or gaps within our CV where we can, you know, add on to. So yeah, that's the, that's just the way I look at it. Every time I get rejected, it's like, okay, cool. This company doesn't think I'm good enough, right? What can I do to add more to my CV? Because I just wanted to get to the point where these recruiters are actively coming for me to headhunt me. Or every time a hiring manager sees my CV, they just cannot ignore it because it's so good. So I think that's that's a you know a progressive mindset to have that I I definitely encourage everyone um, to to do so. Yeah, just also actively you know practicing mock interviews with your friends or reaching out to people within you know these organizations via LinkedIn and asking for fifteen minutes and you know helping them prep you and you know go through mock interviews. Th those things go a long way. So. Yeah, I'd definitely say that's my advice. Terrific, terrific advice for, for people out there trying to trying to get these uh, these job roles. Um, let, let's switch gears slightly uh, for the employers and the recruiters listening. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've kind of developed a lot of knowledge throughout these steps that could probably help them do a bit better in the future. So any advice for the employers out there on better serving, better attracting, uh, top black talent in particular? Top black talent, huh? So uh, employer branding goes a long way. At the end of the day, employer branding is basically marketing for employees from the eyes of a student. How does your organization look? So running programs 
that specifically focus on, you know, black students or ethnic minorities really helps. I know Google does it. Um, I'm not sure if any other organization does. I think EY, for instance, does it as well. But just bringing these students in so to maybe like an inside day or a, a, a work, a week, you know, work experience week, for instance, so that they can have an understanding of how the organization runs or how certain programs work gives them a different form of appreciation for your organization. And again, it expands your talent pool. So be creative in terms of the programs that you have in place. Don't just use your website to push students to apply because then as a black student, what makes your organization attractive? Um, yeah, so going go that extra extent, if it means going into universities and creating those networks and using your alumni or, you know, black employees, you know, to mentor um, so some of these students, you know, do it, but definitely leverage um, the employees that you have in your organization and purposefully and proactively reach out to these students from disenfranchised communities because, you know, they, they really need it. Like I said, it's, it's as simple as speaking to a student and letting them know you can work at Google. That really goes a long way. You're not, you're not really doing much. You're not, really, you're not laying down a red carpet for them. It's just empowering these students to really believe that they can work in these organizations. That's the first step. So I'd, I'd say that would be my advice to hiring you know, managers and HR people. And also reiterating the importance of diversity. I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot. Um, you know, most of it or not, it seems like it's a buzzword and it's kind of cool now because if HR people don't actively take on, you know, the hut of trying to reinforce diversity within their workspaces, then um, as a community, there's some sort of backlash. So you see a lot of, you know, tokenism when it comes to um, diversity, but I think what I'd like you know business organizations and HR people to start looking at is the importance of diversity and how it actually affects the bottom line. Um, there was an article that I was reading um, Mackenzie, they put out an article which reiterated the point or the, it reiterated um, how important diversity is. It mentioned, I think for organizations who have 30% or more women within their board executive, and they tend to outperform companies that have you know, a range of 10 to 30%. And I'm talking about profitability here. This is bottom line. When we start looking at ethnic, um, ethnicity and cultural diversity, this is actually stark. The disparity is insane because I think what is showed in 2019 alone, companies, when it comes to diversity and ethnic, um, when it comes to ethnicity and cultural diversity, um, organizations within the top quartile tend to outperform the organization within the bottom quarter by 36%. And again, this is related to profits. So when you start looking at the global market and serving, you know, as an organization, do you want to, you know, sell to the entire world? So your workforce must reflect on the customers that you're trying to sell to. Um, you could have, you know, you could sit in a room, have all men, above a certain age trying to sell, you know, a specific product to women, that's almost asinine. There's no way it's going to work because they just can't relate and they don't necessarily know what women might want in as much as they might be great leaders and have great business acumen. 
they just can't relate. So I think diversity, you know, it's really important. We start, we need to start looking at it from that sense, especially when it comes to ethnicity and uh, cultural diversity. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there should be a lot more emphasis on this. Like I mentioned, it go as far as, um, you know, affecting your bottom line and your profits. And also when it comes to, you know, hiring people from different minority backgrounds, especially, you know, black talent, there's so much, you know, difference when it comes to the way people think and different perspectives that they can really bring into the organization. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that this is something that we see, you know, over time, um, that the black talent within organizations really um, increase and a lot more, you know, HR business people pay attention attention to, to, to these things. But yeah, it, it's really important. I mean, I think you've really gone a long way just now in this, you know, hour or so, uh, like empowering uh, young people here and making them feel that they can do it as well. So I think this is super important what you've done. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you on for part two on, on another occasion. Who knows which tech company you'll be working for then. There's, there's, a, there's only a few left. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and, and doing a tremendous job here. And uh, yeah, just thanks so much for the wisdom and the thoughts you've shared. Really appreciate it, David. Uh, no worries, Marie. Again, thank you so much for having me on. And if anyone needs sort of any help, any advising tips, please don't hesitate to reach out to me via LinkedIn. Um, more than happy to help. Obviously, yeah, sometimes I'm really busy, especially during the quarter. But I, when I have the time, I'll always, you know, try and help as many people as I can. So, yeah, thank you so much again for what you do. This is amazing. Um, I think we definitely need a lot more platforms and a lot more forums like this sh shedding light on, you know, people within the tech space and just trying to empower young people to, you know, think beyond um, the walls or confines of what they they perceive success to be or what they think they can or can't achieve. So you're doing an amazing job. Thank you, sir. Uh, you're too kind. I really appreciate that. We'll drop your a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. So you might be inundated in uh, messages pretty soon. But yeah, let's leave it there. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome, bro.